Hi, welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the 2,000-year-old Catholic intellectual tradition. I'm uh, Dr. Benjamin Smith, and I'm joined this week by Mr. Jason Gale to discuss his recent paper, The Transcendent God and the Self-Absorbed Man. Uh, this paper was presented at the 8th Annual Symposium on Advancing the New Evangelization, held at Benedictine College in Kansas. Uh, Jason, we're really excited to talk about your paper today. Uh, uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit, maybe first about uh, the conference and uh, the purpose of the conference, and then also, uh, then we'll we'll move into talking about your paper. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Smith. The uh, the conference itself at Benedictine College, it's so much fun. It's a lot of fun to go down there. Uh, you're going to meet with other other scholars. They have tons of presentations uh, throughout the uh, throughout the two days. Um, they, they usually have really, really great keynotes and uh, a, a lot of different uh, breakout sessions with smaller colloquiums and things like that. Uh, and so the paper I presented was uh, uh, in one of these uh, smaller colloquiums. And the, the whole focus of the conference itself is to look at a, a, a current issue and particularly how it relates to evangelization or catechesis, theology in general, and kind of uh, addressing some of the issues of how the, the current culture is affecting our ability or or improving our ability and things like that. Um, or impeding. Or impeding, yeah. <laughs> right. sure. yeah. It was mostly that one because this one okay. was, uh, the topic of this one was uh, technology. Um, uh, gotcha. Which, gotcha. which okay. is always, you know, especially among uh, uh, Catholics. I mean, it's always this thorny issue of, you know, uh, you know, do we do we abandon the whole of technology because it's led to some serious issues with mo- with the modern person, you know, right. or or do we do we understand? Well, this is how the modern person communicates now, so we need to to use it to the best of our abilities and things. And mm-hmm. so, you know, how do we how do we strike a balance in this? But also, how yeah. do we recognize the uh, uh, the issue, the serious issues. I mean, they're not light issues that, that sure. this brings up and we'll talk about this in a sec. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's always a great conference. They have some great speakers and, uh, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun just to, just to interact with other scholars. Uh, yeah, there's areas. a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, I, I enjoy those experiences myself. It's great to, to kind of, to, to, to meet people, uh, who are engaged in the same problem, maybe from the same background, but maybe have a different take on things. Uh, it helps you really kind of just uh, um, kind of breathe the Catholicity of the church, right? You get to kind oh, of get yeah. outside of your own sphere and, you know, hear other people and what they're, uh, they're going through, um, which is, a, a, I think, a, a, great, um, a great experience and, and good for scholars and catechists and uh, all sorts of uh, writers and uh, those who work to advance the new uh, evangelization. Yeah. I will just want to note something real quick, though. Uh, being a native Southerner, uh, Jason, I want to say that when we talk about Kansas, we don't talk about Kansas being down there. We talk about Kansas being over there. Everything, yeah. Cultural, you know, you you want to you know, enculturation matter here. Okay, yeah, that's so, right. So, yeah. yeah, I've been trying ever since I moved from Texas. I've been trying to. Uh, uh, I, I, I went through a bit of duplicity because I lived up in uh, the Washington D.C. area, so I mean, I mean, it might as well be freaking Nova Scotia, you know, uh, compared to Texas. So you know, when I lived in Texas, everything was up there, you know. Right. So there. and then when I was in D.C., well, I mean, everything's down there. Yeah, there's nothing real good above us. So just kidding. 
Uh, I don't want to offend any of our listeners here, but um, all right, so let's get into the topic. So I I looked at this from kind of uh, two different perspectives. You know, the first part, talking about what Joseph uh, Ratzinger called the eclipse of the sense of God, and we'll we'll look a little bit about this. And then the second part is um, uh, how do we catechize or evangelize in, in this kind of state of affairs that we'll look at? Uh, and, I, and I'll give you the answer right off the back. I think there needs to be a particular focus on uh, realism, uh, metaphysical mm-hmm. realism, and uh, a particular focus or at least um, maybe a re-emphasis uh, in catechesis on the creed. Uh, yeah. We'll get to that in a sec. Um, but but let's look at this eclipse of the sense of God, you know, and I kind of call it a cosmetic world because everything, uh, many times a lot of the things we deal with are simply at a surface issue. Uh, when it comes to especially technology and things like that. And the quote that I kind of drew on was um, one that Cardinal Ratzinger made uh, in 1980. So when you talk about right. technology in 1980, but, <laughs> but he, already, he already recognized this. He said, in the technological world, which is a self-made world of man, one does not immediately encounter the creator. Rather, initially, it is only himself that man always encounters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look at this, I mean, it's true. I mean, you think about, you know, how much are we really affected by weather outside of like natural disasters and things like that? Right. We're not, you know, we, we live in a, um, a home that is climate controlled. We go to our car, which is climate controlled. We go to our work, which is climate controlled. And, right, right, you know, so uh, I mean, like uh, even the things that used to uh, affect us uh, don't really affect us. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so, you know, he's, he doesn't necessarily say that it's a bad thing that we live in this, in this man-made world that, that, that we've created things. I mean, it's a good thing, you know, it's part sure. of, part of our being made in the image and likeness of God is that we're able to right. participate in creation. Uh, but he says what it does is it, 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 it uh, God can be a little more hidden. Everything sure. around, everything around us points to the human person. Sure. Uh, yeah. And human wants, human needs, yeah. human desires. Yeah. Yeah, and so you know what the, what this does is we can simply lose uh, the sense that God is present with us here and now. Um, mm-hmm. And I would add to this, especially when our culture begins to lose the dignity of the human person, which I don't need to argue that point. Uh, um, you know, so if if everything points to man, if we if we hold that that dignity of the human person well then we can we can we can still encounter god because man is made in his image and we don't lose sight of the transcendent god uh uh, because we recognize who man is now when the world starts to lose that 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 vision of the human person uh man has simply replaced himself with god Mm -hmm. uh and we just become a completely uh self-absorbed yeah, We've made sure. ourselves God. We worship ourselves. Our opinions and our feelings now become our dogmas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know. Think about. I mean, recently I saw something on TV where uh, um, these two people were going back and forth. I think it was like in Congress or something. These two people were going back and forth about uh, uh, what what this one person did was racist, and mm-hmm. they and and the 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 one side said it, it wasn't racist, and here's why. And he kind of went through some things. Uh, on the other side, she kept going back to her feelings. Well, I felt that it was racist when mm. that happened. My, uh, I mean, she literally talked about how her emotions uh, uh, became like hyper aware of, of everything that was going on. And 
she felt uh, a little anxiety and things like that. So, but, but I mean, it was this weird argument about, you know, well, you know, what was the thing? Well, it was based on my feelings, you Mm. know? Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that touches on, uh, something you said towards the beginning of, um, your uh, description of your your paper, which is the the idea of realism, right? Um, the metaphysical realism. That might sound like an obscure phrase in a way, right? Uh, you you know, if you walk up to the average person on the street and say, "Hey, are you a metaphysical realist?" <laughs> right? <laughs> you're you're probably gonna get sort of a blank stare. Or, Can you please leave me alone? Yeah. Um, but really, that 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 contrast between critical idealism uh, on the one hand and metaphysical realism on the other. I've certainly come to the conviction over time that that's one of the, I don't know, one of the five, six or seven major elements of modern confusion. Uh, can you t- address that a little bit? Yeah. And, and, and a lot of it, we can see, um, who is it? Uh, Cardinal Sarah. Uh, he has a book on silence. It's really good. Uh, mm. and he talks a little bit, um, oh, I'm sorry. It's not Cardinal Sarah. It was in, uh, uh, Fulton Sheen. So, I mean, even writing even before that. Fulton okay. Sheen, he talks, he talks about, um, how, so, I mean, I think he was writing in the, I think this book was in the sixties or something. And, uh, he talked about how the anxiety today, uh, is completely different than the anxiety in the past. And he says, he says before there was this objective anxiety where we were anxious about things that were truly outside of ourselves, or there mm-hmm. were things, you know, like we were we were anxious about our own salvation, (laughs) you know, whereas, whereas he was saying now there's this, this, what he just called subjective anxiety, where he says there's this anxiety that completely stems from within ourselves and our Mm -hmm. perception of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're not, we're not necessarily uh, uh, being critical of, of our own experience. Right. And, and, and so you know, when we, when we, when we encounter something, when we experience something, we're not simply saying, well, okay, well, what is, what is the objective nature of, of what I'm experiencing? You know, mm-hmm. if, uh, um, uh, if something scares me, okay, is there an objective threat or is mm-hmm. it something that is simply welling up for me in my perception? Um, and so, uh, there, there, there's this complete kind of over subjectivity, uh, yeah. uh, to, to the world. We're not, we're not analyzing, you know, our feelings based on what the thing actually is. We're simply, mm-hmm. uh, uh, based, uh, basing, uh, what the thing is on our feelings. Sure. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, I think in some way that, that that's gotta be rooted in the view that <clears throat> we don't have access to the thing in itself, right? That is, we don't, we don't know reality. All we, you know, that, that really to put it in, in postmodern terms, right. That, uh, you know, experience is socially constructed right identity definition meaning all those sorts of things are uh constructed by society and usually by the oppressive element in society right yeah even when yeah like uh, you know that that kind of self-identity i mean think about the the anxiety that that can place even on a child where you tell a child uh um you have to decide everything about yourself Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's like, no, like he, here is who you are as a human person. You're made in the image and likeness of God. You participate sure. uh, um, yeah. in those things himself. So, I mean, like even from that perspective that everything is, you know, kind of this self-defined, A, it's not true. Uh, right. And, and, and B. <laughs> as a matter of fact, it's, yeah, it's erroneous, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and B, it places this 
you know, the, this it, this kind of, um, I guess, what's the right word? I don't know if anxiety is the right word, but... Existential burden. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. yeah, at a very early age, you know, and, and, and especially when, when you combine with that, you, you essentially tell the person, like, not only do you have to decide everything, mm-hmm. but everybody else is going to decide for themselves. There's no real reality. Sure. Uh, or, and, or, or and, at the best, or at the yeah. best. They, they may say, you know, at the best, what we can do is... We can kind of know it, but you you must approach it from this hermeneutic of suspicion. That this mm-hmm. there's this the best we could do is skepticism. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's, it's so interesting. I mean, there's a, a million things to throw in here, really. But um, one of the <clears throat> things that that's that's evident to me, just my experience as a as a teacher, yeah. is the degree to which um, students and I'm or now I'm thinking of somewhere I teach where you know, primarily 18 to 22 year olds. And, you know, they, they will, to their credit, um, they'll express to me, um, in class and in, in, in philosophy discussions, philosophical discussions, their anxiety about themselves and their own self-definition and not understanding. Like I had one student say, I don't really know who I am and I don't know how to even define it. And one of the things that student brought up was, was social media and the degree to which it feels like she like the student has to compare um, himself to everyone. Yeah. And also the degree to which that's all socially constructed, right? <laughs> and humanly constructed in terms of your, your social media presence. Um, so it, that ties in, of course, to, to the particular, you know, um, topic that was being addressed in that conference. But it seems to me that all of these things really converge on a sense of, as I said earlier, existential burden, like I have to define myself. That's actually, that sounds liberating, right? It sounds yeah. like a, like a, an expression of freedom, but I, I, I want to just sort of push back on that and think actually that's putting too much of a burden on us. Like we actually need uh, upbringing. We need tutelage. We need help and guidance in the formate in our formation and our uh, understanding of how we should live, et cetera. What do you, what do you think about that, Jason? I mean, you, you, you apply it to let's, I mean, let's apply that kind of, you know, thinking to, to sports. What if at the beginning of every baseball game, we said, okay, you guys define the rules. Like, you would never, you would never even start the game, you know? And I, and I think that's how, how a lot of people, uh, um, uh, how a lot of people approach life, you know, they sure. get, they get to a certain point and they're like, wow, this is so just not what I thought it was. This is so depressing. You yeah, know that it's right. easy for a person to 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 end in despair because sure. they're 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 always trying to uh, define this or that or or, or this mm-hmm. aspect of their life. Uh, where, whereas you know, if if we begin with realism, uh, right. it's important there. And, and one one thing that I want to mention to our listeners, especially, is there's a great book called iGen by Dr. Gene Twinge, and uh, that's T W E N G E. I'll, okay. I'll put a I'll put a, a link to it down in the uh, show notes, um, but it but it's a great book and she's a she's a, a sociologist I believe sociologist or psychologist, and and you know she she really looks at the generation that ha- has hasn't known life without uh, like an iPhone and right. and the implement and kind of the interaction with social mm-hmm. media and kind right, of right. what this does to people you know and, and it's it's you can really see the the pressures that it's 
that it puts on the person because she she goes into how she does all I mean just thousands of interviews and uh, she has right. a whole team working with her. Um, but in many of the interviews, uh, the the way that the 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 teens or the young adults are talking about themselves in relation to their phones or social media, like one of them literally had a name for her phone and she talked, I think the phone's name was like Jen or something. And, and they were like, you know, me and Jen go everywhere together, blah, blah, blah. I mean, like as if it was another person, then you had other kids who were talking about, well, there's my, my, my online self and yeah. my, my real self. I've heard students um, uh, use that, that, that same division. It's a new kind of dualism. Right. Right. And, and there was a, um, one of the presenters at the, the conference, uh, um, she has a book called The Happiness Effect, where mm-hmm. it, it, it said that you know uh, one of the one of the questions that she found astounding was she asked this question said do you agree with it a hundred percent partly or whatever and the question was was that when I post things online I always always I always have to appear to be happy uh, in what I'm doing. And it was something mm-hmm. like seventy-five percent uh, wow. said that said that they always have to appear to be happy. So I mean, when you when you think about you know this 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 <laughs> online world that kids are are, are spending much of their time, uh, um, uh, what are, what are they what are they experiencing? Well, they're experiencing you know, and and the thing is that they know it's fake. That's that's the maddening right, yeah, part. They right, know it's like feeling feeling really happy seventy-five percent of the time. Nah. Yeah. Well, well not- <laughs> like no, nobody actually do- actually does, right? And yeah. so they're having to create, right, a false image, right? Yeah. Well, when I wouldn't even say feel happy seventy five percent of the time, but seventy five percent of the people online appear uh, to always be happy. Always be happy. Yeah. Like All they right, can't yeah. really post something negative or every once in a while <laughs> to show their humanity. I don't know what it is. Uh, but it, but it, but it's one of those things. If this becomes you know, the interaction that our, that our children, teens and young adults grow up in, uh, sure. um, uh, the, the idea of God or the idea of objective truth simply become, uh, I mean, it, it's not even for some kids, it's not even thought of, you know? So, uh, in that book, Igen, she has a whole chapter that deals in, uh, religion. And she mm-hmm. said this new generation growing up, it, you know, uh, um, the, the generation before that, uh, the iGens, uh, I'm sorry, not the iGens, the uh, um, uh, millennials, you know, they were, they define themselves as spiritual, but not religious. Whereas this new generation growing up, they're not spiritual and they're not religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, that, that it really, it really doesn't have uh, an effect on their life. And I think, again, you know, one of the things that we have to do is, is to turn our focus back on this, this realism. Uh, and to help and to help kids understand, like that's you know the 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 online world. That's not it's not real life. I mean, if if you right. kill your face, if you kill your Facebook profile, it doesn't go right. to heven. <laughs> you know? gotcha. So uh, yeah, yeah. And, and and especially I mean for you as a uh, as a philosopher, uh, and especially mm-hmm. in your metaphysics class, I know you talk a lot about this this idea of uh, of metaphysical realism. Um, sure. That. It, it it really forms a basis. Yeah, it's 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 apropos, and it's it's really almost not even. I mean, it is a a Catholic issue, I guess, in a way, but it's not even really specifically a Catholic issue. It's just a almost like a I don't know, a human issue or something. Yeah, right? yeah, like yeah. The, the, that we have this 
this real difficulty dealing with uh, what in classical terms would have been called ins reale, mm -hmm. uh, that is real being, right? That is the idea that not all being, not all of reality is constructed by the human mind. Yeah. Um, and that's just a real difficulty. What I find really in my students is that, um, and this comes up in the metaphysics course that um, we, we recently um, made available, um, is that really the, the modern, the one way to understand modern culture is this, this sort of Kantian bifurcation uh, between um, the practical and the theoretical. I won't get into all the details right now, but the way I see this mapped onto the way that my students think and, and, and a lot of modern culture is that you basically have math and science. And that's objective in a procedural sense, mm -hmm. right? That like what they'll say is, well, that's fact-based. That's fact, 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 <laughs> right? They'll say fact like over and over and over again. Yeah. Almost disturbing. <laughs> um, it's almost like a, like a, like an incantation or something. It's weird. <laughs> but uh, the, so that's you know, like math and science. That's fact-based, fact, 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 and objective in a procedural sense. And then everything else is entirely subjective yeah right so you have these sort of two worlds that don't really relate you have the objective world of science and uh math and then you have the entirely subjective world of humanity human culture human action human life and the only point of union is the ego right mm, it's, yeah. is your own self right and uh, other than that these two realms are completely unrelated right, right? um and I think that that's that that's where this whole idea, the, the, the problem with theology and with religion, and religious formation comes in is, you know, like you can tell somebody, uh, you can give somebody a historically objective exposition of the Apostles' Creed, but they don't care. I mean, that's just your take on it, right? You know, like uh, it's not math and science, so it's totally subjective. Yeah, and I think, it, I, you know, I think the 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 way to get back to this in evangelization and catechesis, you know, is to, is to, to begin, like you said, it's, it's not even a really a Catholic thing. You know I mean? Catholics have been kind of, uh, you know, St. Thomas and, and things mm -hmm. and other saints, you know, have been, you know, real, you know, uh, champions for realism, of course. Um, but mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a Catholic thing. So, I mean, I think we sure. need to, to begin with this kind of education on, you know, the human person, because, uh, you know, again, when you're dealing with a self-absorbed man, you know, explain who the human person is. And I think the, one of the first points you have to make is that we are contingent creatures of a sovereign God sure. uh, and break that apart for them. You know, what does contingent mean? What is, what does God's sovereignty mean? Uh, yeah. um, and, and to focus on, focus on that. So that, that's what I would say is, is a good first point. Yeah. Is, is yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Right. It's focusing on, um, our contingency, our dependence on something else. Um, but one of the problems I, I've run into, Jason, about that approach, and you can tell me maybe if you address something like this in your paper, is um, I can lay out um, a beautiful set of arguments mm -hmm. uh, on the existence of God, the necessity of God's existence, um, et cetera, the immutability of God. And students will say when I get into that, oh, yeah, that makes sense, you know, in, in the sense that it's not like meaningless or incoherent. And so I'll say, Oh, so you, you think there's a God? Well, and then they'll, they'll respond. Well, I'm not that religious. <laughs> well, I get, 
I didn't. I just gave you an argument, right? Yeah. Why? Why is that your response, right? If you if the premises are true and the reasoning is valid, the conclusion must be true. Um, but they just don't see it that way, and I think it's because of this hard division between what they understand as objectivity and subjectivity. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's true, and I think you know coupled with that is our ability to uh, uh, to think logically and to 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 look at an argument and to say, okay, you know, that's true or that's not true. I mean, I remember hearing a bishop talk uh, one time, and he he uh, he was recommending a book uh, to a to a, a young lady, and mm -hmm. uh, she said, you know, you know, thank you so much. She's like, but she's like, to be honest, uh, I don't have uh, the patience to read a book anymore. Uh, and, and again, this goes to one of the symptoms of this kind of uh, self-absorbed um, world we live in. I mean, even sure. uh, I was uh, at the conference, one of the speakers was talking about how do uh, iGens or how do the, the group growing up, how do they read a book? And so she was mm -hmm. asking them, you know, how do you read books for like assignments and things like that? And um they said they would that that this one this one person in particular, and she said it was kind of emblematic of the of a, of a bigger group. She said they would read a, one line in the book, and then they would check their cell phone um, to see mm. to see if any notifications or anything came up. And so I mean right. that's how I mean you were you were dealing with this 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 back and forth. So, I mean you never really engage the material that that's in a book. So I mean. You, right. you take you take something like that where people don't have the patience to to read a book, you know. And I'm not saying that's everybody, but you know, I, sure. I think that's that that can be a generalization of the group coming up is that they're they're less uh, uh, literate, they're they're mm -hmm. illiterate in a lot of in a lot of the terms or in a lot of the ways uh, of of reading a book, uh, absorbing the material, dealing right. with it, struggling with it, making sense of it. Um, it, it's a completely – and when they do read, it's for school. So it's completely – it turns into an exercise of pragmatism. I need to know sure. this for the test, and that is it. Yeah. As if opposed, you know, well, this might actually have a bearing on my life. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when you have this this uh, uh, the, the this sets of circumstances, I think it's, it's really hard for or, – or, or for, for them, it's easier for them to say, well, that's nice. You know, right. God can exist. Yeah, right, right, and, yeah, and again, yeah. the 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 there never is that that deep thought or let's mm. let's look at this let's look at this mystery uh, and go a little deeper. Um, mm -hmm. That idea of going deeper is 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 not always there. Uh, sure. Uh, in that way. Yeah. And I think you know what part mm. of the focus also on on realism uh, needs to be uh, a focus on uh, the nature of things that the, mm -hmm. this determines a lot. So the example I use was to take love, for example, because uh, okay. uh, this is a, a good starting point, I think, for for uh, millennials and iGeners. Um, everybody wants love. You know, everybody understands, you know, even um, the, uh, the the homosexual movement, their mantra is love is love. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, everyone wants to love and says that we should love. Okay, well, what is love? You know, love is to will the good of the other. Now, Mm -hmm. Not many people will give you that definition. I understand that. Um, <laughs> but but to will the good of the other, it says, okay, well, you have to know what the good is. And we discussed this in a previous podcast as well. That's right. That yeah. in order to love, you have to know what is good. Well, in order mm -hmm. to know what is good, you have to know what the nature of the thing is. You know, what's good for a dog 
is because it's a dog, you know, mm-hmm. and what's good for a dog is not necessarily good for a human person because they are of different natures. Sure. Um, sure. So I think, you know, a focus on, uh, uh, on real, on, on the reality of the nature of things, uh, is so important. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's actually one of the hardest things really to, uh, to bring people around to, um, one way maybe of, of addressing this is, uh, you know, you would say something is good, you know, because of what you are, right. Yeah. Um, or another way of putting it, you know, is, is goodness is, is what you are is human nature irrelevant to goodness, right. To human goodness. And you would want to, you would hope you would say no, right. Like right. you need to know some facts, some, something true and real about the human person in order to talk about what's good for the human person. It seems almost sort of, um, myopically irrational to, <laughs> to, to sort of say, well, we're going to cut, we're going to figure out what's good, but we're not going to know any of the, the true facts about what a human being is. Right. Uh, that seems very strange and, and obviously just, just sort of a dead end, right. The beginning of a dead end. Um, one way, one thing I, I, I brought up, uh, Jason, I found sort of useful here and there is the inescapability of truth. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to, 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 to work students around sometimes to the view that, well, um, language and thought is defined in relationship to truth mm-hmm. so that you really can't escape um, making claims about the way the world really is. Right. Uh, even if you try. Uh, without sounding ridiculous, I mean, you could preface every sentence with "I feel like it's my opinion that I believe," you know, <laughs> but most people, at some point, you know, you're still like, "Well, is that even real? Like, yeah. Is that the way it really is? That that's your opinion?" At some point, you know, you're gonna have to plop down on, "Yes, I think this is the way the world is." Right. Yeah. Like to say, you know, we shouldn't be so open-minded that our minds fall out of our heads. <laughs> right. uh, you know, and and you know, the the example I always use because I was a mechanic was, you know, if you wanted mm-hmm. to know how a car works, you look at the manufacturer. Uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can't just decide that my car is going to run on water, you know, I'll break right. the dang right. thing. Uh, sure. uh, you know, and, but, and, and I think it, I think people can understand, you know, that the human person is more complicated than the automobile. Of um, course. And yet we realize that in order, in order to operate an automobile correctly and to its highest potential, we mm. have to know how the thing works. Right, uh, and right, we, right. we also have to uh, do maintenance on it, you know, so I think that's sure, a big right. thing, you know, so I mean, you know, how much more complicated is the human person, you know, so when you right. just say, well, you define who you are, well, you know, that you're going to break it, you know, right. the, mm. uh, in a similar way, you know, whereas if we that's begin, we find. yeah, yeah, yeah it, well, people are broken all over the place, our culture is broken, families are broken, uh, you, you know, people, uh, men and women are broken, children are broken, et cetera. Yeah, and, and um, uh, uh, Dr. Tween, she goes uh, through a lot of this in, in her book, uh, particularly the year 2011, which is kind of where the smartphone and social media became a mainstay. I mean, uh, she looks at uh, um, uh, the rates of depression and suicide and, and, right. and all these things. I mean, they, they, they double, they triple. I mean, they're just they're, – they're, they, they, uh, um, 2011 was just a year when when so many different things were going on uh and i think it was this kind of duplicity of of lives that that people were right. uh, uh um 
uh, trying to uh, absorb and live in, um, but but they didn't have a solid foundation on the nature of things. They didn't have a solid foundation on you know what the human person is, um, mm-hmm. um, you know. So I think that, and I think this this leads to this this neglect of realism. It's led to also the neglect, and this this was my my third point was that um, it, in order to live a contemplative life, or in order to to contemplate and meditate on on God and the things of the world and the things of heaven, there has to be this realism as a foundation um, yeah. that you can't contemplate necessarily on 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 feelings, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, in that way that realism that contemplation needs realism. That's a great point, Jason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, if you're going to contemplate, right, I mean, you're thinking about, you know, sort of appreciating, um, reflecting upon, um, uh, meditating on a reality, right? Like right. you can't do that about, I mean, here's the thing, I guess you can actually meditate on your feelings, <laughs> but that's useless uh, in most cases, in most cases, right? I mean, maybe you're going through some sort of um, psychological work and, and therapy, you know, therapeutic, yeah. in, in a serious therapeutic setting, maybe you do need to do that. But that's not prayer. That might be important work that you need to do for your well-being. But um, in most cases, right, uh, just sort of reflecting on your feelings is, is not is not prayer, put it right. that way. And, and the kind of contemplative prayer that we're all called to and uh, it involves beholding the reality, right, of uh, God, the reality of his majesty and his work in your life. Yeah. So you OK, so you have this this world that denies realism. Uh, so mm-hmm. it, it doesn't it doesn't contemplate. Um, right. But also, you know, uh, and this was what Cardinal Sarah's great book was about, was the dictatorship of noise. Right, we don't sure. even we don't even have now the preconditions to contemplation, namely silence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that you know, and, he, and and it's beautiful. He talks about that silence isn't you know just the absence of noise, but silence uh, uh, is where we meet God. Uh, right. uh, it is it is kind of this this place that we enter into. Sure. Uh, and right. so when we just constantly have this this noise, and we we live in this society that's completely skeptical of everything. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it just makes for for a bad set of uh, uh, a bad situation uh, to catechize and evangelize. It's very difficult, you right. know. Um, yeah. So, but I but I think you know uh, you know to get to uh, the uh, another part of my paper was that uh, the creed needs to really become a focus again in catechesis. Sure, um, sure. Uh, 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 Schoenborn and Ratzinger in their intro to the catechism. They said that the creed is the you know the faith which it professes is reality, not mm-hmm. merely the content of Christian consciousness. Right. Uh, uh, you know, and I think you know that needs to be <laughs> a, a particular point that needs mm-hmm. to be said explicitly, that that what we're describing here is reality. Yeah, it's 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 really hard. Um, there's such an emphasis on subjective experience, right? In um, catechesis, in religion, in evangelization. I mean, across the board, of course, but but especially in those areas. I mean, I think one of the things that catechists and theologians sometimes struggle with is that they very often present the they often present it this way that religion is true because it's useful, right? And what I want to say is false. Right? Yeah, uh, it's useful because it's true. 
Yeah. Right. If it, if it's if it's false, then we're deluded, right? We would be better off. Um, so I, I want to push back against that kind of pragmatic emphasis uh, that's that, that we so often receive. Yeah, and I found this to be a, a particular challenge in evangelization and catechesis, especially with young kids uh, or teenagers. Mm-hmm. Is when you when you talk to them about beliefs, mm-hmm. what what you have in your mind hopefully and what's what's in their mind are completely different you know we believe things because they are true and they deal with reality right whereas when you talk specifically about religious beliefs with young people again it falls back into this subjectivity mm-hmm. uh, um, that it's not necessarily based on reality uh, and so I think that's that uh, again even the way the the language we use okay so when we talk about you know uh, belief, that even mm. even there, we have to take a little bit more time to explain what we mean by sure. the church teaches or the church right. believes. Um, right. That it's not simply, well, here's here's our rule book for our club, and there's many yeah, clubs or, or out the there. The expression of our experience, yeah, or, or, or whatever. I mean, it's very tempting for some reason. Modern people just run in that direction. Sure, uh, it's not about math and science. Uh, one way I, I try to push the the idea is that belief has an object. What is faith? has an object and as such if you don't have if you're not um comprehending or relating to the object of faith then you are not having faith right now that sounds rough you know i guess in a contemporary setting but i think that that's got to be correct right that is that you're f- you're not having genuine and authentic faith if you're not having the ob- the proper object of faith right exactly and I think this could take, you know, sometimes, you know, in catechesis and evangelization, there can be this focus on, well, you know, the the, the personal relationship with Jesus, you know, and, and I and I and I get that because you know your relationship with God is of utmost importance. Sure. Um, but it, but I think sometimes that that leads to a a reduction of um, just this simple personal element or personal friendship with Christ equals the height. Of, right, right, uh, right. of of what it means to be Catholic or what it means to be religious. But I mean, even when you look, and this is the beautiful thing about the church, it, she's been a, around for <laughs> ever, right, sure. you know, for 2000 years, you know, you're looking at, you know, what is it that makes, you know, a person Catholic? And, and one of the things, you know, when you even look at um, Protestants coming into the Catholic church, well, what is it that brings them into the fullness of the faith? Right. Uh, some people say, well, you know, it's it's when, you know, if they're already baptized, then it's a confirmation. Well, actually not. It's the public profession mm-hmm. of faith, of them standing there uh, publicly saying, credo, credo, credo. Uh, right. And it's right. that, that and, and I think this is, you know, to to give our listeners a couple of, or, or a quote that I think is good to, a good point for us to end on and to ask ourselves, uh, St. Ambrose, um, he mm. tells us that the creed is, the spiritual seal, our heart's mm-hmm. meditation and an ever-present guardian, it is unquestionably the treasure of our soul. That that and again, because it deals with the with the the most beautiful and highest reality that is out there, that needs to yeah. be our starting point. That needs to be uh, uh, where we begin, and not in a superficial way, saying, "Okay, you've memorized the creed, let's move on." No, meditate, pray on it, make it the treasure mm-hmm. of your soul. Yeah, yeah. Realize, realize, uh, and appropriate that it's true, right? That that this is, in fact, as you said, a, a picture 
or you suggested a picture of reality, right? This yeah. is this is reality. I love that uh, quote you said earlier from uh, the introduction of the Catechism, right? That that the creed is reality. That yeah. that's what we need to actually recognize, right? So this is not this is not about your best life now. This is not about your personal experience as exactly or entirely. Yeah. This is primarily right about uh, reality. This is this is uh, the way the world is. Yeah. And I, and I think this needs to be, you know, looking at it as a mystery in the Catholic mm -hmm. sense, not in the American or secular sense where a mystery is just something to be solved, but a mystery is something <laughs> to be entered into and to wondered about, be wondered about. Yeah, that's um, great. So that's yeah. great, Jason. Thank you so much. It's a lot, uh, gives a lot to think about. We'll include that, uh, quote there from the end in, a, in the, in the show notes, um, mm -hmm. or link to it so that, uh, our listeners can uh, look it up uh, for themselves and, and, and reflect on it. Uh, Jason, I think it's an important topic. Uh, and um, thanks. Thanks. You know, thanks so much for sharing your paper with us. Yeah, sure. Uh, um, in the meantime, uh, I hope all of our listeners enjoyed uh, hearing about Jason's paper. Uh, please be sure to check out all the content uh, that we have available at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Check us out on YouTube and Facebook as well. Please share um, the, uh, you know, what you find, uh, useful with other people um, that'll, that'll sort of help promote Catholic Studies Academy and, and give us a, a broader audience. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, uh, until next time, God bless.